From Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. When I say UConn, most of you think the same thing. National championships for men's and women's basketball and Dan Orlovsky. I can't deliver one of those, but I can deliver the other. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And Dan Orlovsky joins us right now, ESPN football analyst. The Wolfpack grows by one. We'll talk to him about football, I promise. Everybody cool it for a second, though, because Orlovsky this morning was on Get Up, said that UConn's the best basketball program in the country. You're going into a national championship. First and foremost, we'll ask you about the team in a second, Dan, but I got to know, for a guy that basically only eats rice cakes and healthy food, how do you even celebrate a national championship game? Like, is there a splurge for the fans? What, what what are we doing tonight, Dan? U C O N N Yukon Yukon Yukon. I gotta come I on the right it. way. Nah. Um, how am I gonna splurge tonight? No, I won't. I feel like uh, uh, while I do do the rice cake and peanut butter tonight, I'll probably having a nice glass of wine by the time that game's tipped off. That. One o'clock in the morning. Thanks, uh, television people. Uh, but no, I, I won't be snacking food that late. No, I got to be cheesing in two months, bub. I knew it. I knew it, Harry. That's all. Like, yeah. But 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 I, I wanted to ask Dan. So so if UConn wins the national championship, yeah. right? That'd be five in the last twenty five years. And you know there are yeah. people out there saying that they aren't a blue blood when it comes to college basketball. And I look at teams like Kansas, who's won four national championships, and UConn would exceed them. Do you feel that UConn isn't a blue blood when it comes to basketball? I feel like UConn is the blue blood. I feel like it, I don't think it's they're, they're the best team. I think it's the mecca of college basketball. Five and twenty-five. They got the number four recruiting class coming. They got the best coach in America. I got boatloads of respect for Duke and Carolina and Kansas and Kentucky and UCLA. I got boatload. Five and twenty-five years. That that's never been done. There's been teams who have had five, just not in that span. They they would be the they are the blue blood, and it's not slowing down. And I'll go back to Danny Hurley, their head coach, two years ago, saying at his press conference, "Y'all better get us now because it's coming." And he was right. And the reality is, they're a young basketball team. Um, now they got to win tonight. I'm not I'm not you know just glancing over San Diego State, but do they play? If they play to their level, they'll win. Um, and like I said, they got a good recruiting class coming. So. Um, it's it, it's as big. You can make the case that Calhoun, who was there before Kevin Ali, and then obviously Danny Hurley is the greatest program builder ever, right along with Mike Shashevsky. It's it's been phenomenal what that program has is and has become. It, it, they're putting the note in front of me. If you had the women's championships, UConn has thirty two point six one of all national championships over the last twenty four years. How do you like that nugget? Here's the real question: Before one more oh before we get to football, one more before we get to football, Dan. Uh, if they win, there's likely going to be a parade in Hartford. Can you get me in that parade? Like, uh, get me on a float, maybe? Like, like can I get on a parade? Get you on a float. I, mean, I don't know if I could get you on a float. I could probably get you a uh, maybe a meet and greet. You want a meet and greet? I don't want a meet and greet. Look, I can get you a meet and, like a meet and greet, get Dan. A 
Oh, great. I mean, yeah. you've got bobbleheads in local toy stores in Connecticut jerseys. I can get on a float. Why in with the you. hell would you ask him, can you get on the damn float? Because, like, like, look, I'm a Raiders fan. I'm never going to know what a championship <laughs> parade feels like. Harry, give me a little bit of grace here. <laughs> I, there's a pecking order to this, though, Jay. You know, you know like, I, I, I want to be honest. I don't want to lie. Like, I've got my kids. Um, I probably have... Um, family that are going to ask me. My sister is the biggest UConn basketball fan in the world, so uh, she's like an awkwardly big UConn basketball fan. So they would probably get priority over you. I just want to be upfront and honest. I, you know, I appreciate. It. While you're in honesty mode, let me ask you a football question real quick because you know I've just seen the reports that Will Levis and Anthony Richardson are going to join the Raiders. Uh, what 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 quarterback's not going to make me drink? Both of them. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I mean. Uh, uh, which one is not going to make you drink? Uh, can you guys trade for Patrick? Okay. Would you guys do that? Okay. Or Joe Burrow? Okay. Um, I don't think the Raiders get a quarterback. I, I don't. I honestly don't. I, you know, they obviously tried to get up to one, but I, you know, like we did this the other day on live. I, I think quarterbacks go one, two, three. That's where I sit right now with my gut. Um, who's up for – who's going to be number one? I, I could see all three guys being it. You know, the three I would be a Bryce, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson. I could three see all three of those guys going number one. Um, but I think Bryce goes one. I think someone goes up to three to go get Anthony Richardson. And I think the Raiders we, – we, we were showing in the last, I think, um, five drafts, maybe six drafts, the Raiders have selected 18 guys that play on the defensive side of the football – in the first four rounds, only one of them is actually on the team. I think it's Trevor Morig and or Merrig, excuse me, with the pronunciation. And the only one defensive player out of those eighteen that's become a good player is Max Crosby, and I think they took him in round five. Now, Dan, I gotta ask he you is right because about all of that, by the way, when their roster look at... is so deprived of defensive talent. It's so deprived. So, so when you look at the Carolina Panthers, right, and let's just say hypothetically yeah. they decide they want to take Anthony Richardson at one. The yeah. infrastructure that's there. If you're going to take someone like Anthony Richardson at one, you want your infrastructure to be solid. When you look at Frank Wright, who's played the position um, in the National Football League, you also look at Josh uh, McCown, who's going to be a head coach. Yep. You look at Thomas Brown, who's going to be a head coach. You look at yep. Andy Dalton being that veteran back uh, backup. The infrastructure in my eyes is there. Do you feel the same way? It's the best place for a rookie to go to. There's, there's no question about it. And I think you feel really good about who that rookie is playing relatively quickly. You know, and, and to, to your point, Harry, here's the, the, the conundrum, I'll qual- call it, because if you're Carolina, if you are Carolina and you're an organization that believes you draft traits, Anthony Richardson's the pick. That, I mean, that's, I don't even think it's close. If you, if you draft that early on traits, Okay, if you if you believe when I'm taking a guy one, there has to be special, elite, uncoachable traits and or talents. And then that's Richardson. The situation would be, well, one, you really like have two big question marks with Anthony. He's only played 13 games. We don't have a lot of evidence for a guy that has played that little snaps to to, to become a good player. So on one side, you're like he's got to sit and work on his game and develop. And the other side, you're going, I don't want him to be the next Trey Lance. That, has, that doesn't play. See, you've you got to get him on the field, but you, you can't just throw him out there while he's still developing. And then two, 
Harry, you know this. The leadership aspect of that role is so paramount that it's really hard to develop that leadership at his age. I think Anthony's 20. And, you know, while you're, you're going to go through some growing pains while trying to get rid of the bad parts of your game. Yeah. You know, that's where I, I, when people say it's a swing and it's a big one because of the games played, I agree. But because of that structure that you're talking about, and Marcus calls it insulated, because of that insulation, I feel very encouraged about the potential of it. So obviously you have Will Levis far separated from those three that you've just mentioned because his name hasn't come up. So I'll ask you, Will Levis or Hendon Hooker, if you're a GM, who would you be more likely to take a run with? Um, I still think Will Levis. You know, I, I still think highly of Levis. He's just a really difficult evaluation. You, the, the physical talent doesn't match the tape. That's what concerns you. But then you go, no quarterback had a worse offensive line and no quarterback had worse receivers that he was trying to throw to. Guys, I can't tell you how many times I wrote down in my note, no one's open, no one's open, no one's open. And so that's why it is difficult. To see. And they, run, they take the ball out of his hands, and you could ask the question, well, why did they do that if he's that good of a player? I think it's a little bit more dependent upon or because of what was around. They were just so poor talent-wise. And that's the difficult challenge. When, and everyone goes, well, so did Josh Allen had that in Wyoming. But Wyoming was playing against, like, Utah State. Kentucky's playing against everybody in the SEC. So they're getting, <laughs> like, rolled. And I just think that's a difficult value. I'm a big Hendon Hooker fan. I am. Um, I think he's a tremendous young man, and he's, he's definitely talented. The knee and the age are part of the equation, and, you know, because he's probably not taking a snap in the NFL until he's 26. All right, uh, Dan, as always, good luck tonight. Appreciate your expertise. More importantly, I hope you enjoy watching the game tonight. And, you know, I appreciate your honesty on on both the just dumpster fire of my beloved Raiders roster, which I agree with, and the fact that I'm not getting in the in the parade. But if you're there, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'll flash you or something. Like, I'll make sure that you at least see me. It'll, I'll be there for you. You asked the man, yeah. can you get in on the parade? I mean, oh, hey, look, I, I'm, I'm shameless about this. going to flash me. Like, <laughs> like, what? Hey, look, I've been working out, dude. Like, you, like you, you're working on summer body i'm working okay. on summer body let's go let's go that's uh, okay you don't got to show me your boobs <laughs> so you can't help it i don't help it but i don't not have to. all right I'll he ask can't you. help it we he appreciate you it. brother thanks so much for hanging out with us oh that was a wildly professional interview fitz and harry pre- presented by progressive insurance drivers who switch and save with progressive save nearly 700 bucks on average what's the ceiling for a team moving on from a future hall of fame quarterback we'll answer that question next fitz and harry on espn radio and the espn app fitz and harry the podcast This is Fitz and Harry. Like the ceiling can hold us. I'm on the floor, floor. All right, it's time for a little ceiling and floor. The floor is the ceiling? It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at a team in each conference each day. And we're going to figure out what their floor is and what their ceiling is. How good could it go? 
How wrong could it go? Bum, bum, bum. And fear not. We won't start with the Raiders because there's not much of a ceiling there. All right, Harry, are you ready for this fun activity? We will pick. We're going to let Devin pick our first team. You ready for this, AC? Let's go. All right. What do you got for us, Dev? The Green Bay Packers. Oh, we start Ooh. with Green Bay Packers. Now, for the sake of discussion here, I think we're all presuming that Aaron Rodgers is not going to be with the Packers this fall, right? Like, uh, Harry, we can agree right now that that we're out on any possibility that somehow he's still there. So this would be a Jordan Love ceiling or the floor for the Packers combo, correct? Correct. All right, so what do you got for us? Uh, for me... I don't think originally I was saying they, they had an opportunity to probably make the playoffs, but then I changed my mind. I don't I don't think so. Uh, when I look at their schedule and they play the Chiefs and the Chargers this year, but they also play the Rams, Saints, Bucks, Falcons, Panthers, Broncos, and Raiders. The thing about that is that I do believe the Falcons uh, are going to be a way better football team. I believe the Panthers will be a way better football team. I also think the Broncos will be a better football team. Now, you look at the division and you look at what the Vikings were able to do last year. You look at the Lions being the, you know, the stopping point from the Green Bay Packers making the playoffs. They have ascended and got better. I think the Bears have gotten better. So when I look at the division, the, the division, I don't think they're going to have a strong year in which they are able to make the playoffs. They lost Alan Lazard. They lost Robert Tunyon. Uh, they're, they're tight end as well. I do believe, though, that Jordan Love is going to find some chemistry with those young receivers that they have. And Christian Watson and Romeo Dodds and Samari Torre, those guys. So I do believe that things will be built in the works. And this will be a run-based football team. The same way they wanted to approach the year last year, they will be a run-centric football team with the pass game being secondary moving forward. Yeah, I think you're right about that, especially when you think about what Lafleur knows he's going to have to do uh, when they look at the way this team's constructed right now. But I do think your division point is a really important one here because, frankly, their division has gotten, I think, much better. So when you start talking about wins, uh, Vegas is likely going to favor the Lions in the, the matchups against the Packers. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see at least a split with the Bears. And I know that, you know, obviously – uh, you can talk about the fact that Aaron Rodgers owned the Bears, but he doesn't anymore, right? So uh, when you go up and down the line on it, for me, it's hard to see them being a playoff caliber football team. So uh, the over-under on win total is around 7.5, and, and that feels high to me. I think the ceiling for the Packers is maybe an 8-win football team that says, hey, we're building and Jordan Love got some of this rust off and we know who we have as a quarterback. The floor for them is a top 10 pick in the draft next year and a 5-win team. I mean, I don't think the Packers are really geared in a way to be a great football team this year, even though uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying long-term they need to panic. I do think you have to expect sort of a recalibrating year, Harry. No, I, I agree with everything you just said. All right, so let's take a look at a team in the other conference then, Devin. Who we got? The Miami Dolphins. Ooh, this one gets tricky because, you know, we can at least eliminate Aaron Rodgers from the Packers conversation. We have no idea what to expect from Tua in the Miami conversation. I think they're obviously pretty comfortable with this health, given the fact that they picked up the option and, and they're moving forward. But man, Miami takes a wild swing up or down, depending on what you actually get from Tua Tungabaloa. Yeah, I will say this. Uh, the health of Tua is going to be watched closely this season. And... I'm praying right now that he doesn't have another concussion. But also, when I'm looking at this football team and I'm reviewing them, they are one concussion away from Tua from being in the situations that they were in last season. 
And I think that kind of, you know, hurt this football team. And granted, Tua couldn't help what was going on. So I'm not putting that on his shoulders or anything. I'm just saying as an as a analyst reviewing the Dolphins, that's my concern. Now, I love what they did defensively, uh, bringing in Vic Vangio to, to lead that group. Jalen Ramsey, um, David Long at the linebacker positions, re-signing their linebackers offensively. From an offensive standpoint, I do believe Mike McDaniel and this offensive football team need to be more consistent within the run game, right? That was one of the things that kind of plagued them last season. They were so pass-centric. And Mike McDaniel is, it was the former uh, guy who was over the run game when he was with San Francisco and the phenomenal things that they were able to do. So I think in year two, though, the offense gets better because it is that Shanahan system. And I know when year two comes, that's when things start to push forward a little bit more. So looking forward to seeing that. I'm going to go back to the schedule here because I think you made a smart point with that with the Packers. When I look at the Dolphins' schedule, I still believe Buffalo is spectacular. I still believe that the Jets with Aaron Rodgers will take a step forward, right? I don't mm-hmm. believe in the Patriots this year. So the Dolphins have their work cut out for two of the three opponents. Outside of that, the Dolphins drew the AFC West this year. So they get the Broncos and the Raiders at home. They will have to go to Kansas City. They will have to go to the Chargers. So, you know, I think Kansas City and the Chargers are tough games for them. They also uh, they also drew the NFC East. So they're going to have to play the Cowboys and the Giants and the Eagles and the Commanders. Tough games. Like I feel like even if the Dolphins are a very good football team, they feel like nine wins. Like the, the the ceiling for them is ten wins. The the floor for them in my mind is six or seven. If if two is not able to give them a full season, that gets things could go off the rails. But I think realistically, they're somewhere between a seven and ten win team in, in my mind. A ten win team that's a, a a definitive playoff caliber team, or a seven win team that's just on the outside looking in that realizes they desperately have to fix their quarterback situation next year. Well, I think going to Kansas City, that's going to be a tough one, depending on when the time of the game is. Is sure. it early? Is it late? Going to the West Coast, to the Chargers, um, that could be difficult too because when you're all the way down in Miami, whew, that could be tough ridings on the, on, the, on, the, on the traveling mind and also the body. Yeah, and they've also got to go to Philly. And uh, Philly, I mean, I, I know Philly's yeah. gone through a lot of change this year, but you got to have – right now we sort of have a tip of the, chat, the tip of the hat conversation every time we talk about Philly because we know how good Jalen Hurts is expected to be. They still have offensive weapons around them. So it's not – and, of course, that Raiders game is going to be a you know, difficult one for them, No, right? but check, check this out. <laughs> Here's the thing. There are away games, right? You have – at Buffalo, New England, the Jets, Kansas City, also the Eagles, Commanders, and Ravens. I know all of those games aren't going to be cold games, but when you're practicing in the, in the heat consistently, and let's just say hypothetically three or four of those games or maybe five of those games are during the time when it, it's cold outside. Mm. That's drastic to have to go from this, the hot temperatures to the cold temperatures. And now, not every player, but some players are worried about the cold. And it is a thing. It is a thing. When we used to love when I was in college and we played South Florida and they had to come up to Louisville when it was cold in like November or December because we knew those guys weren't worried about playing the game of football. They were worried about the cold weather. Well, I, I, don't, I don't blame them at that point when it gets that, when it gets that hard for them. I, I think – for me, so much of the, the Dolphins conversation is just going to have to be a careful one because right now the team and Tua feel like they're capable of going in and being 100%. I think the rest of us are sitting back holding our breath a little bit, just kind of in a wait-and-see mode, right? So I would love to see Tua play the way that Tua played at times last year, come out, have an MVP caliber campaign, and his whole career blows up the way Jalen Hurts did uh, this last year. No, I would love no. to see that. It's just no. asking a lot. 
I'll tell you what I'm high on, though, when it comes to the Dolphins. I'm, I'm really, really high on their secondary. With Xavier Howard, um, they brought over Deshaun Elliott for the, at the, for the safety position and also Javon Holland, how he's been able to play since drafting him. And then Jalen Rant Ramsey, you brought him over via trade. You got Veron McKinley, the third, that's, you know, could be added to that mix as well. So I am high on their secondary. And one of the things that you need in the National Football League in today's game is multiple guys that can cover. You're really going to need it if the Jets get Odell Beckham Jr. You've talked, added to the guys that they already have. You've talked me into it. They're, 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 they're ceiling still 10 games. Their floor is now eight. All right, I'm, I'm giving – they're too talented not to still win football games even if things go awry. All right, we're yeah. going to do that over the course of the next month, getting into the draft. We'll give you all the teams. We'll give you their floor, their ceiling, figure out where everybody falls in the middle. But coming up, ahead of the national championship game – Got to wonder if one team's one shining moment already happened. We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. will play for a national championship. When we're playing harder than the other team, which is our calling card. The rebound caroms right to Sonogo for an easy two. You know, we're able to kind of, you know, body blow our opponent. When you look at this Connecticut team, they can beat you in the post. They can beat you with the three. I think Dan Hurley put it best. They just wear you down. Sound courtesy of Westwood One NCAA Radio Network. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, tonight, the men's tournament will come to a conclusion with UConn trying to make a statement about being a blue blood, taking on a San Diego State team that is trying to do what feels like it's been impossible for generations, win a national championship from the West Coast. Get some insight on it. ESPN College basketball analyst, our buddy Lafonso Ellis joins us. Uh, Fonz, really appreciate your time, man. We were just talking about uh, blue blood status for UConn. Now, admittedly, uh, uh, Dan Orlovsky was our guest. He might have a little bias given the fact that he's wearing UConn colors and started by chanting UConn. So, for <laughs> right. you, my friend, uh, is UConn a blue blood, blue blood in your mind? They, they always have been, and it's been interesting, and I don't mean it to be trite. I, I, I've been curious about why that's even a question <laughs> and part of that is je, je, i've been at espn for 14 years now and in 19 so so i was looking at they won a national championship at least one national championship in each of the last four decades uh and if they win one tonight that would be four let me make sure my numbers are right so in, the, in each of the last three decades they have and if they win one tonight that'll be four so i'm not so sure why it's even a question whether uh, blue blood or not four national championships won already with an opportunity for a fifth tonight and we're talking about all of that since 1999 there's no question uh, that they're a blue blood i've often wondered if if because we don't own the rights to the Big East and teams and teams haven't gotten a chance to see them, uh, or our fan base haven't gotten a chance to really see them because they've been kind of out of sight, out of mind. Um, I've wondered if that's 
contributes to that a bit. And then you combine that with the fact that when we think of the traditional Blue Bloods, they not only have national appeal, they have international appeal. And that's Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky. But there's never been a question in my mind that there are Blue Blood tonight and uh, Blue Blood. And if they win tonight, I think that'll put them back in the forefront of everyone's minds in our country, that they're truly one of the great Blue Bloods in our country. Well, you talk about minds, great minds think alike. Me and Lafonso are on the same page, along with Jason Fitz. Mm-hmm. I think UConn has been a blue blood. But I got to ask you, what has Dan Hurley done to get UConn back to this point? I think he's been very methodical about how he's put a team together. You know, they lose uh, three talented players last year, and yet Adama Sinogo returns. Uh, they Andre Jackson returns in differing roles now, but but they return nonetheless. Jordan Hawkins was allowed the opportunity to kind of develop in, into a stud last year to take a centerpiece role this year, and then he goes and one of the areas where we were concerned about them. Uh, coming into the season is at the point guard position. And Tristan Newton uh, comes in as a transfer, has a tr- two triple doubles on the season already. And even when they were struggling during that six of eight that, that they lost, you know, the point guard play or lack thereof was, was the centerpiece of why they weren't winning. But Tristan Newton has been absolutely, in my mind, steady as they come throughout the NCAA tournament. They've not needed him to score double figures. Even last game, he has seven points. He has uh, eight assists and really doing a great job of managing and running that high-octane uh, UConn offense. And so uh, I think Dan Hurley's just done a terrific job of establishing his culture, which is toughness and defense, and then methodically has built a, a, an offensive juggernaut that's centered around dominant Adama Sinogo, who's been absolutely terrific in this tournament, 20 points, 10 rebounds, and then he's got shooting all around him. And one of the most unique players in all of college basketball is Andre Jackson. No, he, he does, he's not a good jump shooter, but for what they need him to be, which is a Swiss Army knife, his ability to be able to pass, cut, run, jump, defend. Uh, they're one of the most interesting, constructed teams in the country. And it's as you all know, most teams try to mimic what's going on in the NBA level. And I think what's fascinating about them is they don't run a lot of ball screen action. Their, their offense is predicated on ball and body movement. And as a result, uh, their best player, Adama Sinogo, you can't necessarily load your defense up against him because most of the time he's catching the basketball on the move and one-on-one, and he's so good at finishing the either hand around the rim. And I think that's why Dan Hurley has been so successful. Well, let's take the other side of it then. We're talking to LaFonso Ellis, ESPN college basketball analyst, how does San Diego State shut them down? I, I think they have to do three, three things. One, they have to keep UConn out of transition. They're absolutely explosive in transition to the rim, or you have several guys who are knocking down threes, including Jordan Hawkins in transition. And then secondly, they have to create some offense off of their defense. If there's one slight, very slight uh, weakness of UConn is they can turn the basketball over, as we saw in the last game where they had 15 turnovers in that game. And then lastly, and, and, and in doing so, San Diego State, whose offense can get stuck, can create some easy opportunities for themselves in transition off of turnovers. And then finally, they've got to get some easy ones on the offensive glass as well. UConn do, it does a great job of really collapsing to the basketball. And sometimes when you, you overhelp, you can open yourself up for opportunities for the opposing team to get offensive rebounds on the weak side. So they've got to be able to do those three things at a high level in order 
harder to beat UConn because <laughs> UConn's the heavy favorite, and they're heavy favorite for a reason. They're so good on the defensive end. They're, they're great offensively, but I don't think people talk about just how good they are defensively. They're worthy of the term juggernaut. They've been sensational this year. Well, it's been a long time since a team on the West Coast has won a national championship. If San Diego State you know, can win this game, what does that mean for them but also college hoops? Yeah, for them, they've already accomplished so much. They've become the first Mountain West team to be the number one seed, recently lead eight, a Final Four, and now a national championship. Uh, and I think what it, how it will resonate is, you know, when people think of the powerhouses in college basketball, San Diego State is not front of mind, and the, the Mountain West Conference is not front of mind. So if they could somehow knock off UConn, uh, now all of a sudden they become center stage. They, they in a sense, empower all of the quote-unquote mid-major teams out there that they can truly make a run by slowly and methodically putting their team together that's defensive-minded, tough, able to control tempo with their defense, and, and able to force teams to play at the pace that they want to play. And so I think that would resonate. I think it's already resonated with uh, the advance of, of teams like a Florida Atlantic who's already gotten to a Final Four. But it would be a huge positive uh, shockwave out there if they can be able to win it tonight. Yeah, just a reminder to everybody, UNLV when they won, because i got to bring that up as UNLV Lifer was in the Big West. So, you know, it's just <laughs> right? history happening right? here. So, uh, yeah. you know, we'll see. And I'm, I'm just, there's, I'm telling you, there's just a part of me that wants to see all the fans of huge programs on the West Coast shocked that San Diego State finally did what the rest of them couldn't do. Lafonso, really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for the expertise. We appreciate your insight. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Blessings to you and family. Fitz and Harry brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. One champion has already been crowned. Who will be next? We'll answer that. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Brought to you by Bank of America. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. I mean, steak tacos do feel delightful. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Uh, Look, I I mean, we started the show and we end the show talking about the same principle here when it comes to some of this, Harry. Like, at some point tonight, when we see the men's play, uh, and when the men play tonight, 9.20 p.m. Eastern is the tip-off as we'll get Connecticut taking on San Diego State. When that happens tonight, somebody dunks on somebody, and then they get stood over, or there's a moment where somebody talks to somebody else like right in their face, when somebody's immediately coming at somebody else on the bench, when there's yammering happen while you're about to shoot free throws. Marquise Noel, one of the most beloved people throughout the course of the NCAA tournament, there was video of him out there saying all sorts of stuff to people as they're about to shoot free throws. When that happens tonight, you think anybody's going to be out there screaming, oh, but the sportsmanship, oh, how can we ever let them do that? Like, this is just the most <laughs> tired, stupid debate to have in the entire world. An athlete went out there, won a national championship, and wanted to talk their talk. Who the hell are we to tell her she can't? Oh, no, listen, when we watch this men's game tonight, you're not going to hear any of that. And these guys can basically, you know, express themselves how they, they feel fit. Uh, within this national championship, right? This is the biggest stage. It doesn't get any better than this. This is going to be an emotional game. Uh, This also is a game in which everyone in the world is going to be watching. 
right? It's okay to show emotions. It's okay to, you know, do your thing. I don't have a problem with it at all. I think it's great for uh, not just men's basketball, but I think it's great for every sport, including women's sports. Be passionate about what you like to do. You know, sometimes, you know, being passionate involves you showing emotions, and that's okay. You're not wrong in doing so. Now, you can't be getting teed up and text and costing your team games. That's a different, that's a different, you know, end of the spectrum that we're talking about. But it shows me that you actually love the game at an extent, uh, at an extent level. And there's nothing you would want to be doing in that moment than being right then and there. I mean, how many people that are out here talking this talk are the same people that would trash talk you if you were playing a video game against them? Are the same people that would say something to you if they beat you in a board game? Are the same people that if they beat you in spades would turn around and say their piece as they're walking out to go to the kitchen to get another drink? They're the same people that would sit there in a cornhole league and still talk trash to somebody. It's just, it's wild to me, this weird double standard. It's like, well, suddenly they can't do it. And again, how many times have we seen somebody right in the face of Kobe and vice versa during the peak of the greatness of Kobe. Michael Jordan was in the face of everybody in the moments of his wins, and people were right back in his. Like We, we see this all the time. You and I pointed out earlier, Joe Burrow pointed to his ring finger, as was pointed out to me on Twitter almost immediately afterwards. You know who else did that? Aaron Donald, right after he sacked Joe Burrow to secure a Super Bowl, looked down at him and pointed at his ring finger. Not a damn person had a problem Tom with this. Tom Brady. Tom Brady in the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs after they scored a touchdown going right up to the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, letting them know they had a few words. They even took it to the sidelines of the, as the two players were jogging off um, close to one another. Listen, man, this is a part of sports, right? And the crowd that doesn't like things like this, you know, just, you know, dwindle away. Yeah. Don't do away because we can do without you. Also, there's context to all of this. Caitlin Clark, as I said earlier, there's a feature out on ESPN about her great trash talking that came up a couple of days ago. When you are a huge, great trash talker, you get talked to more at the end of the game. We all know that. It doesn't matter where we're talking well, about Also, life. when you're so good like she is yes. too, right? You feel like you've just taken down a giant. Listen, what she did in the NCAA tournament, women's NCAA tournament, was amazing. And basically was unstoppable from start to finish this entire season. So when someone beats you and you talk trash, they want to they want to get you a little bit. They want to get you a little bit more. Yeah. And by the way, this is speaks more and more to the new era of athlete that is not afraid to step up and show their personality as well, which I love every second of. We're going to see, obviously, personality tonight. Connecticut trying to accomplish the impossible. Five championships in a 25-year span. It's never been done in men's college basketball. Uh, at the same time, San Diego State trying to become the first team since 1997 to win a championship on the West Coast. I, The lover of chaos in me would love to see San Diego State do the impossible here, but Harry, it's just it, there's very few things that have been predictable in this tournament. One of those things is that Connecticut's been great. They have been predictably dominant in every single game. And you can make the argument all day long, especially knowing that Miami had already taken on Houston that had the best defense in the country coming into that game. Miami put 89 up on Houston. You thought, well, it doesn't matter how good Connecticut's defense is. Miami will be able to score on them. They were not able to. Scoring is difficult against this Connecticut team. I would love to find a path that gets San Diego State a championship. I just I don't think that's going to happen. I think Connecticut's well, going to win big tonight. Well, UConn is just, you know, they're so good all around, right? You don't find many deficiencies in, in, in their team and in their game and the way they play the, uh, the game of basketball. So, no go. 
He's a guy that's going to be able to anchor things. Jordan Hawkins, I love, I love his game tremendously. You look at Dan Hurley, and you just look at the history of his family, right, all the way from his brother Bobby and how things trickle down. There's this mindset and this mental and physical toughness, right? When you think about the Hurley family, that's something that's going to be or has been trickled down to his team as well. So I got Connecticut in this one. And don't be surprised if Connecticut wins by double digits either. Yeah, I think so too. But I don't know how I feel about you bringing up Bobby Hurley. Like, that just makes me think about Duke. That makes me sad. Uh, I'm also sad this game is at tough nine. as hell, man. I, I'm, tough I, player. I know, but it, it beat UNLV, and so that hurts my heart still all these years later. You know, that sounds it's just, personal. Uh, it is me. very, very personal. <laughs> uh, game tips off at nine twenty Eastern tonight. Uh, Harry Douglas, uh, father of two young children, will you be staying up late to watch? I mean, we have to for what we do. If oh, it man. wasn't for our job, would you be sitting up late at night, popping the popcorn, watching a nine twenty tip? No, and as soon as we're done with the show today, my wife is on the way back from a dance competition, and she just told me on the phone, when she gets home, can I get the kids so she can sleep? And I'm like, yes. So I have, I'm on 1,000% daddy duties as soon as she walks through this house. Uh, Devin, you're the young party animal on this show. Uh, is there like a is there a bar party happening somewhere? Is there like, like are we getting feisty out in the streets in Connecticut? Are we getting feisty out in the streets? Yeah, you're going to cut a rug somewhere, or you're going to... Uh, <laughs> I might, I might cut the rug somewhere. Is there is there a big oh, party? I might cut a rug somewhere. Uh oh. Oh, marshmallows and in, in my hot chocolate. <laughs> uh, is there a big party somewhere, Devin? Like we do in no, a watch party? No, that I know of. Do you know of a big party? I don't know. Like, look, I can't even get invited to the floor. How about like, you guys create the party? How about that? Ooh, That's a little late it. for me. I got to get up early to go to the gym tomorrow. I don't well, really orange theory. I don't. Yeah, I got to do orange theory oh, in the morning. I'm rich, I work at orange theory. I'm, I'm every pretty day. committed to Uh-oh. not wearing pants while I watch this game, so I feel what, like what is going on now? No, like, no. In case you haven't even ready for Dan Orlovsky, you're not exactly. wearing pants. Like, what's going what, on? What are you doing here? When man? I get my summer body, I may just not wear clothes anymore. I can't promise anything. What I can promise you is that uh, the game tonight will tip late, and uh, we will make it through. No, all can of you us. promise me you, you'll you'll wear clothes at all times? I can promise Get you that, that Tootsie Roll out of here. Wow. Kenny and Carlin's coming up next. I promise you they won't talk about their Tootsie Rolls, but we will. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Listening to the Fitz and Harry podcast. You can listen to the guys live weekdays from noon to three Eastern on ESPN Radio, and you can watch on the ESPN app.